freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're finding time to listen to this, it's Ron Coleman culminating with Chandler Crump, the amazing young phenom who uh, I'm proud to say said to me, Ron, the best thing you could do for your podcast right now is have Chandler Crump. I love it because you don't, you don't necessarily think that anyone's necessarily paying attention. Chandler Crump is paying attention. And when I uh, start doing my, when I started doing my a little bit of research to, you know, sort of get a little bit of the story, I see this guy is everywhere and everyone loves him. Good, good day to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Chandler, I'm pretty good. Thank you. Very happy to, to meet you. You and I have been following each other on Twitter for a while. You're a really interesting guy. Are you 17 yet? Uh, actually, that's the funny thing. I turned 17 in uh, just a few days this Wednesday, which is uh, September 15th. That's when I turned 17. So oh, birthday's birthday. coming soon. Your birthday is almost uh, the same as my son, but he turned 17 13 years ago. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it is, you know, with, with us old people, Chandler. Um, you getting, uh, you finished high school yet, or you're getting your PhD? Where, where are we, <laughs> what are we up to? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm out of the education system right now. So I can focus a little bit more on this because, uh, especially yeah. during the, and this was about in October is when we kind of made the decision to step back from that and kind of focus more on what I was doing in politics. And it was probably the right decision to make because then the very next month, I noticed something insane happening in our country. And that's just when I kind of started really, uh, it, it ramped up. I've been in politics since uh, 2018. That's when I was about 14 years old. Um, and that's be just because, you know, I saw a president that I really cared about and really thought he was standing for this nation. Um, and I saw that I wanted to get that into the young community as much as I could. I was 14 at the time and I had been fighting for a long time. Uh, November came around and I saw just some insanity happen uh, with the election and things like that. And it, it really showed me that I had to fight even harder than I was before. Well, you know, I was very, very interested in politics from a very early age. And my, my parents were worried about it. And quite appropriately, as it turns out, because it's ruined my <laughs> life. <laughs> but it's also made, it gives me a great deal of meaning and satisfaction in the work that I do yeah. in politics. But they wouldn't let me quit school, Chandler. <laughs> I don't understand. How do you do that? Well, it's not necessarily, we, we, we have a plan. So it's not necessarily uh -huh. quitting school. It's just that we're doing it in a very different way. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're kind of taking some other routes to go through that rather than sticking in a, in a high school setting, especially considering that the high schools in Georgia, despite the fact that it's a red state, have Black Lives Matter, LGBT flags, um, all sorts of madness like that. And you may have saw, oh, yeah. Out in, yeah, out in what, California, what, what? They, had the, they had the teacher exposed that literally had the Antifa flags. And though Georgia isn't quite as far along as California is, it's only a matter of time. So it was probably the best safe decision for me to not physically go to a high school. Well, at least not a public high school. I mean, yes, I don't know. Yes, exactly. Have you, have you ever had a chance to chat with Michael Malice? I actually have not, no. What's, well, what's up I'll, with that? I'll, I'll introduce you, but Michael, Michael's, a, what's up with that is that you didn't ask him. If he would have asked him, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll hook you guys up. But he, one of the, one of Michael's 
famous oft-repeated axioms is that public schools are literal prisons for children and the only time many people will ever encounter physical violence in their lives. And he, this is this is one of his regular tweets, sort of like my version of, you know, hashtag journalism, you know, <laughs> whatever it might may be. Uh, now, I'm, look, I did decently well in, a, in, you know, in a not all that special suburban high school in New Jersey. But I probably, you know, I, I have a, a running disagreement with Mrs. Coleman, who's an extremely well-educated and intelligent person. And she believes that everything that she has accomplished, which is very significant, is a result of her schooling. Mm -hmm. And she went, she went to the public school, by the way, which is the topic, you know, you saw her article, because you follow me, which is, which is the, Rhode, the controversial Rhode Island district in Peacedale, Rhode Island, where she grew up, where, where they found out that they were throwing away books in order to wow. critical. Yeah, you, I'll, I'll show you, I'll send you the link to you, her human events article from a couple of weeks ago. But I maintain that, that whatever I may have accomplished has been despite my education. And that's a little bit preposterous, right? Because <laughs> look, look behind me, I've got these degrees on the wall. I obviously yeah. think something of them. But I think the truth lies somewhere in between. You obviously have learned something did you learn it in school? Did you learn it at home? Are your what kind? Are your parents um, intellectual people? Do they talk about these kind of issues. What's so, you know, this is actually a very interesting question. Not many people are asking me about my early childhood and just kind of how I got to where I am. Dude, you're um, in your I, early childhood. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something people say often too, though. Um, but I, I guess the the start kind of was like. I think it was maybe early elementary school, second or third grade, when we finally started learning a little bit about history. And I kept learning about, you know, slavery and racism and segregation. But what I noticed is that the teachers never really talked about the political connections to things. I was raised uh, political from a young age and not necessarily uh, ideologically political, like, oh, I believe this or, oh, I believe this, but just in tune with politics. One of the earliest memories I have was jumping up and down in happiness when Barack Obama was elected. Cause I was like, yay, black president. He has the same skin color as me. But you know, after learning about racism and segregation, I decided to do a little bit more research for myself. And I suddenly had the deepest question. Why is the very first black president in the same political party that was involved in all the racism, segregation and slavery that I was taught about and was taught as the uh, the big, oh, no, you shouldn't support that sort of thing when I was in elementary school. And that was a big mind boggling thing to me. And this is before the teachers were trying to teach anything about the party switch or anything like that. That happened in middle school. Uh, so I was still in the ripe young age where I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna do a little bit more research about this. And so it wasn't, this, it wasn't like the schools that taught me anything, but it was the schools that made me question their own logic. I was like, if the schools are teaching me this and I look in the media and they show me this, something doesn't add up here because if, if the Democrats were still the racist party that they were before, why would they even allow a black president to come through? And from there, I did so much research and found out all the games they played, the ab abortion, Margaret Sanger. And I was, I was just disgusted by the stuff I saw. And so, you know, it was very simple back then. It was just Republican and Democrat. And back then I was like, well, I don't know too much about the Republicans. I don't know if I can support them or if I like them, but I definitely know looking at the Democrats and what they do, I don't like them. And this was like 2014, 2015. Then Trump came into the uh, into the whole era, and that just changed everything. But I guess from the beginning, that was it. What conclusion did you come to as to why, to use your term, to use your phrase, the Democrats allowed a black man to become president? Uh, because I think in their eyes, 
it, it, it wasn't really about race necessarily, but more so about power. They want to be in a higher standard of living than everybody else. And so originally, white they, Democrats. They, meaning 80 million Democrats or some smaller group? Oh, a much, much smaller group that has been, <laughs> okay. you know, it's been it's been growing slightly as the rest of the country has grown, but it's probably something still around like 100,000 or so people. Uh, but from the beginning, it, it, you know, it was the white, white liberals, white Democrats in the South. Um, and I guess back then they might have been called conservatives, but I, that term has switched a lot, especially in the in the 1900s. But just as time grew, they realized they couldn't really helmet much on race anymore. They realized that in order to and they, of course, they still had the good old revenge pact of killing as many of our people as they could. And the ones that we, they didn't kill, they would use them as a voting block. But just as time went on, they realized they had to shift their sort of ideas a little bit to seem less evil in this way and promote their evil and more subliminal ways and so instead of hosing you down in the street they'd influence your mothers and your fathers to break up they'd influence your mothers to say okay well i don't need the black father in the home i just need the welfare checks the government became the daddy to the black mother and the daddy to the black children and those black children would then be in the streets uh and those black mothers if those if those children weren't in the streets they were killed before they were born so various different routes they would take it uh, they wanted to seize power, they wanted to seize control, and they wanted to make it, it known as much as possible that they were the ones who had the power in this nation. And so even all the way up until 2008, they were still playing that same game. And they decided that a black president might have been the best way to do it. And then in the very next election cycle, they threw a female president because they wanted to look like the most virtuous, the most happy, the most, I don't know, good people possible. But apparently in 2020, they just gave up on that. <laughs> <laughs> because... I mean, you know, accepting accepting your narrative, which very little of it sounds far-fetched to me. I think they realized they no longer, it didn't matter who they ran for president. Yeah. It didn't, obviously, obviously. Yeah. I mean, what could be better proof of that? <laughs> but it's, it's interesting what you say, because I just had this discussion with someone. I, I had a, a, a thread that I was very proud of where I, I think I really analyzed what I thought was the had been happening to the Democratic Party um, and how Barack Obama saved them from a very, very serious um, death spiral in terms of uh, electoral outcomes because they were losing state houses, they were losing Congress, they were losing presidency, and their bench was so weak. And out of nowhere, it seemed, comes this you know, this phenomenal black guy who is really well-spoken, right? Like you, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't speak Ebonics as we used to, that was the term in those days. Okay. He doesn't speak <laughs> like a black, he, 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 he sounds like a regular, in fact, he sounds more like a, like a white man than I do to tell you the truth. Barack Obama. I mean, I, I wish I, if I had a voice like that, I would have gone into radio. Um, really, you know, really well assimilated of course he's not he's not a descendant of american slaves so it's you know it's, it's a he looks black but he's not black black right and he does all this magic political magic for the democrats not only because democrats can support him wholeheartedly but because many moderates feel virtuous voting for him yeah because they're proving to themselves you know, some of my listeners have already heard this story, but I might have to tell this to you because yeah. it'll, 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 if you, if you remember nothing else from this discussion, I think you'll remember <laughs> this. When I was in college, 
you could do, um, you could sign up to be a, a paid volunteer or paid subject for undergraduate psychology experiments. Experiments, in other words, uh, research thingies, behavioral research type things. Nothing, not medicine or stuff like that, but you know, press the button, get a piece of cheese, yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> and you know, you get fifty bucks or something, and you know, that motivated me. Certainly, studying didn't motivate me. So I signed up for one of these, and I showed up at the appointed time, and I uh, come into a, a waiting room, and someone says, "Okay." Uh, just go down one of the two hallways here and the person in the office will tell you what to do. And I said, which one? They said, either one, just choose yourself. So I, oh no, there's one hallway, two rooms. I went down the hallway and on the right is a black guy sitting at a desk and the left is a white guy sitting at a desk and they're both looking straight ahead, no eye contact. Hmm. So I went into the one with the black guy. And then the person in the front said, okay, Experiment is over. You should congratulate yourself. You're not prejudiced. Said, wow. Said, you, well, you could have chosen the white guy or the black guy, and you chose the black guy. I said, I chose the black guy in order to reassure myself and everyone around me that I wasn't prejudiced. I wasn't not prejudiced. I was virtue signaling, as, as we would call it 30 yeah. years later. We can't get out of our own way but the th on this stuff. But the funny thing is, I don't know if you, if you are if you remember before Barack Obama, mm -hmm. how young were you? We weren't really hardly talking about this stuff so much at all, at all. Yeah. And this, all right, that's my story. Now back to Chandler Crump. <laughs> I'm going to come back. I'm warning you now, so I'm giving you time to formulate your answer before the end. I'm going to ask you about that plan that you and your parents have worked out. Your your parents and I am sure all the big investors behind you who are who are you know lining up to turn you into the, into you know some kind of even bigger phenomenon than you, than you are now. What are you doing day in day? I mean, what you're famous for is being Chandler Crump. Is your right? Am I missing something? You didn't. You, I, I you mean, didn't. the word the word fame I don't think is applicable in the political scene whatsoever. But that's uh, true. We we were in our own for... little. In, oh, okay, fair enough. What you're known for, okay? What there. what people have you on their podcasts for, and what you do? You do, do you do public speak? You go? To, do you do speaking yes. to a large audience? Yes, I've done quite groups? a few quite a few speeches, especially uh, after the November elections. There was a lot of uh, big speeches that were given just about. Uh, things and of course it's you have to be very careful talking about it these days but back then it was all, all no holes barred do any of these people want a, a an old jewish man to talk to them because i'm tr i'm dying i'm dying to get some speaking gigs all right I, i'm pretty sure there were a few so you fit right in <laughs> yeah well that's the problem uh so how did you break out how do you was it through was it through twitter is that how you got your, what was your, what was your entree into this world where people are paying attention to this very articulate and, 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 and precocious young man who's got all these ideas? I, I think there were two distinct moments and I guess I can kind of weave you through both of them. So like I said, I began my political journey in October of 2018 when I went to a, an event in Washington DC called the Young Black Leadership Summit. You might've heard about it on Twitter. Uh, it was put on by TPUSA. Uh, it was very different back in October 2018, let me tell you something. Uh, and so the Young Black Leadership Summit was an amazing event, Candace Owens, Brandon Tatum, a lot of amazing speakers. And one amazing thing they did for us was uh, they let us go to the White House and hear from President Trump himself. 
Um, and the funniest thing is that it, that wasn't the main event. You know, we were there. It was a great time. Trump gave an amazing speech. We were all energized. But it was after it that we where were outside of the White House. Where did he speak to you? Did he speak to you in the in the um, the East in Room? The, in the East. Was that an amazing experience? Oh, I mean, it was great. Does he just, he really, people don't appreciate how electrifying he is in person in the right yeah. size. Maybe, you know, maybe he does stadiums well also, but. We, I think we know. were the loudest people to ever be in that room, period, that group. Cause like right. th there has just never been an energy like that. Um, but then it was after the event or after the white house that we were outside of it. And Candace Owens was speaking to some press people with a megaphone that Al Sharpton went on MSNBC or something and said, we were all puppets and we were all just, you know, puppets in the game of Trump. And like on the way home from that event, I was like, listen, if this guy's going to call me a puppet, I need to be able to respond. And I'm hearing from Candace Owens, Brandon Tatum and Trump himself speaking about all these things and doing what they can to save America and, Candace and Brandon trying to save their race. I want to save America. I want to save my race too. So on the way back, I started my Twitter account. That was October 2018. And I just started speaking about it. Um, and I went to a few more events. Another one I went to was actually a Student Action Summit in 2018. Um, and right there at that event, I actually had an interview with uh, Elijah Schaefer, the Slightly Offensive podcast. And back then they were much smaller than they are now. Um, but this video went mega viral. It got like 700,000 views on YouTube uh, and it really went out there. And it was because I said something really funny and it said, I don't hate liberals. I feel sad for them that they're mentally challenged. Um, and just people really love to hear that. And so it really got out there. And I guess that was sort of like the very first boost I got after that I started my YouTube channel, started speaking about politics on more platforms. Um, and of course, YouTube and all these different platforms, they weren't a big fan of me and I've been suppressed heavily, but I do a weekly show on YouTube uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at eight. Um, and I just, you know, I speak about politics. I've been to a lot of events and spoken about it uh, in front of people. I'm even making political music now, believe it or not. I just had a, a single drop uh, this morning um, and I have an album coming out next Friday on the 17th. And so I think there's just a lot of different fields that I've what, been what getting is the myself genre? involved in. What is the genre of performance that you are featuring? Well, uh, I guess you can guess it'd be a uh, rap. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, I, I, I asked Zuby why yes. rap and he said, basically, why not rap? I mean, that there, exactly. there's pretty much only rap. That's the only, that's the, that is the musical art form of our time. And especially for expressing ideas, really. It, especially yeah. considering that, you know, we, we have such short attention spans in 2021 rap is the most efficient way to get it to you. Um, and I, I've put it pretty efficiently. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've picked this up or not, but apparently I've been told I speak pretty fast and I rap pretty dang fast as well. <laughs> Maybe so. in Georgia they tell you that. And where I where I come from, you're not moving the needle at all. <laughs> true. Talk true. Very fast. I, I haven't <laughs> haven't had the need to speak very fast on this. It is a very uh a very slow paced show, but uh, you should hear me on some other shows. We get up there. Oh boy, that maybe I'm taking it too easy on you. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> so so that was it. You, you brought, basically social media was the ticket for you, which as it is for so many other people, including myself. I mean, I'm, I'm just a lawyer, but if, if you've got the content and you know how to sell it, you do have to sell it. Um, yeah. you can, you can obtain a voice and that's an amazing thing. And we often forget, you know, for, it's frustrating as the, as the, as the, um, um, censorship is. And then there's lots of it. And in fact, I know you've got something to say about it because I think that was what you said that you had something to say about that would be perfect for my podcast. Besides us getting to know each other was that, is that we're still both on Twitter. Yeah. You know, I'm, it, 
and being careful isn't the worst thing in the world. And there are people who have been careful and have been banned anyway, but it's an amazing time for people to come out of nowhere and suddenly have a voice in, as you said, at least in the political world, but to some effect, it has an effect on others. I mean, you know, you, you know, even if they're not watching or listening to you in the, in the white house, someone who is in the white house is, or is having someone do it for you. They do, they do, yeah. they do. Put you on a list. Oh, forget the lists. We're on so many lists already. Yeah. I've been on lists for a long time though. I mean, I've got a friend who assures me that back when we were blogging together in the nineties that Ron, you were on, you've been on that list since then. Wow. I don't know. Who knows? You, sometimes you're flattering yourself. Uh, let me ask, I was actually very disappointed because I didn't make that list that the that January 6th committee set out. I, you know, I'm not like, that's the A-list. I mean, that's the, you know, that's, well, that's the most, pretty much the happening guys. Tell me what it was that you had in mind when you contacted me on the issue of censorship. Do you remember what it was? Or am I just blowing uh, you so much away with my personality? That, <laughs> uh, yeah, do, do you remember what, what the issue was when we, when we first talked about having you on the, on the show? Oh, man, I, I can't remember specifically what it was, but I know it was only like a couple months after Trump was banned. And ever since then, censorship has just been ramped up. And so uh, YouTube, I, I got demonetized by YouTube back in February. So I can't oh, really super chats on my streams or anything like that. I was completely not just one video or anything, but completely channel demonetized. Um, I, I, I've wow. had multiple of my accounts like just shut down temporarily for periods of time. Uh, and it's, it's always scary as well, like to see on uh, platforms where they just start deleting followers for me like oh yeah I forgot, I forgot to mention in january uh on january 6th or so i had about twenty thousand followers deleted from my twitter account i was at like 60 or so thousand and that, that i was dropped back down to like forty two thousand. Uh, and it's been it's been slow building back up and i'm not much i'm not a person that cares much about twitter follower numbers and my tweet my tweets still do great but it's like if they have the power to just snap it away, what else do they have the power to do? And I've spoken about this before. They, they just kind of ramp things up. It was in December that Biden said, we're not going to make vaccine mandates mandatory, or we're not going to make vaccine mandates, period. And now it's in September, and they're going to kick you off of uh, your job or find your job $14,000 per employee per period of time if you don't have a vaccine or you don't get tested once a week. I'm they getting, ramp things up. I am getting overwhelmed with DMs and emails and messages on other platforms asking for legal advice, mm -hmm. um, which right now we don't really have. I mean, we're in the, you know, Harmeet and, uh, and our team uh, are working on the research. And uh, it's very likely that before this podcast is, um, is heard by anyone that we will have a lawsuit, at least one lawsuit cooking. Uh, there's a lot going and I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I tell you that if we're not doing it, then who the hell is exactly. um, it's yeah, actually. And what you said was that you, you in fact, you had heard the Zuby interview mm -hmm. and you actually, this is, this is talking about a guy who knows how to say the right thing. I heard your podcast episode with Zuby. And when I listened to the intro, I heard about the future of free expression. In other words, yes. he listened to me and Zuby, but what he remembered was what Coleman said at the beginning. Oh, this kid's great. <laughs> so as a Gen Zer, Gen Zer, who is gonna have to live with this big tech censorship for the rest of my yeah, life. Me, that's what me it was. too, me too, by the way. Uh, just that's not gonna be as long. Um, exactly. I think I could provide a unique perspective during an appearance on your show. 
So here we are. That's and, and you're beginning to give me that perspective. I mean, how is yeah. it? I mean, that's true. I mean, to a large extent. Look, I, I started my blog on on which focused only on mostly on trademark law, but and, and copyright. But to a large extent, it, the issue of free speech was always percolating there because it was always of interest to me. And my focus at the time, and this is a blog that started in 2005. My, <laughs> I was one. Yeah. Right. Well, we, I mean, it was with, you know, we had the movable type. We were really well along. And um, free, one of my interests was the way intellectual property law was often used to shut down free speech. People would say, oh, you're by talking about my product or my company, or my organization, you're infringing our trademark because people are going to somehow think that you're using it in an endorsed way, which, which is idiotic. But early on, judges were buying this because they were even older than I am. Um, and, you know, these are judges who were born in the 30s and 40s, and they, they really did not as we used to say in the 80s, grok the internet. They didn't have a clue in most, and even then, most of their clerks didn't have a clue. And we've come a very long way, but it, one of the distressing things from the perspective that you have enunciate, enunciated, which is what's, what's the future gonna be like for the Chandler Crumps of the world and my, my kids who are basically, you know, a little bit older than you, but closer to your generation, what are they going to be looking at in 2050 and 2040? Is there going to be any yeah. free discussion at all? And so one of the things that concerns me is that judges, rather than becoming more, they are more sophisticated about the internet. There's no question about that. Many of the judges are on the internet. Most of them use the internet. They're not engaging in social media. They shouldn't be. But I'll tell you something you might not realize. You know, every time a lawyer walks into a judge's chambers now or judge's court, They've already run you, you know, they looked you up on the internet, they found out who you are, where you come from, and you know, you can either be a quiet lawyer like most lawyers are, and they play it safe, or you could be a schmuck like Ron Coleman and leave it all out there and hopefully they, they, they maintain an open mind. But what I wanted to say was that I've often discussed with my guests this idea that, that judges are, they don't necessarily look at every case the way you like to think that they do, which is with a fresh mind, they tend to look at what other judges are doing, even if it's a different mm. case, even if it's a different state's law. And one, of the, and one of the things that we have to do by getting young guys like you and old guys like me out there and keeping us in the conversation is making sure that they hear other points of view and that the people who are whispering into their ears hear other points of view, because otherwise they're going to they're become very stuck in in their old in their old even though they're that much younger than the judges i mean i'm older than some of the judges now they need they need to hear from us i mean that's one of the reasons what, what do you think of this idea of everyone has to quit twitter and facebook because they're bad guys and go on to getter go on to uh you know um gab gab i've uh, i don't think really too, people are saying it well what's your what's your thought on on that concept yeah. So I'm proud to say that I've actually been one of the people pushing those alt tech platforms uh, since the very beginning, since about 2018 is when I joined Parler, is when I joined Gab, 
Um, and I joined Gitter, I think about a week after it launched. So I've been quick to jump on all these platforms. Uh, I remember I told you that I got temporarily banned off of various platforms. One of those platforms was YouTube. And it was the day I was supposed to go live. And I posted about it on Twitter. I was like, guys, I may not be able to do my live stream tonight. Rumble, which is, you know, Rumble, personally reached out to me and got me set up on their platform to live stream that night. And this was weeks before they had launched live streaming for most other people. They got me set up uh, and it was just a really great experience. There's platforms like Locals, which have personally reached out to me to get me set up on there. Um, and so, you know, all these different alt tech platforms, that's, that's the name I give them because these big tech, alt tech, I think it fits. And I think these platforms stand for your ability to speak for yourself. And I understand some people saying it's, a, it's an echo chamber or all that, but I disagree with that notion because the more of us get on there, then the more liberals are going to want to get on there too, because where else are they going to fight right-wingers? That's what they like to do. Um, and the thing about getting on these platforms is that the more of us that are there, the more legitimate they become and the more legitimate the First Amendment and being able to speak for yourself on digital platforms like those becomes a standard again. Because, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't get banned off of Twitter or Facebook or I don't even know if Instagram existed 10 years ago, but you couldn't get kicked off of those platforms uh, just for saying some political opinion. 10 years ago, the political sphere was very different. You'd just be talking about Obama and I guess uh, 10 years ago, 2011, Mitt Romney or something like that. It, it, would not, it would not be as crazy as it is today talking about Trump or Biden. You will get kicked off the platform for saying, I believe Trump is the rightful president right now. You, you would literally get kicked off. So um, I guess all goes back to, I think they're very legitimate places that we need to be getting on as much as possible. Even if some of them may be rough around the edges right now, you don't have to get on all of them. I'm on all of them, um, but pick one that you like. I guarantee you most of the influencers you care about are there. And the more of us get on there, start posting on there, um, it, it's going to be a great thing for us. And I, I mean, think that's one, of, that's one of the best routes we can take to guarantee free speech for our next generation. I think you're right. And I, like you, I'm, I'm at least nominally on all of them. And I've been coming on yeah. very... I, I'm I'm really leaving YouTube behind because yeah they have an clearly have an affirmative policy of discouraging new channels and discouraging conservative channels and people say yeah. to me Ron with you have 140,000 Twitter followers and you're getting 300 views on on YouTube interviews with really well-known people obviously they're playing with you so I'm I'm focusing my video on Rumble now. And again, yeah. I'm still on YouTube, and I'm going to get back yeah. to, to that point in a second. Getter has been a little bit disappointing, though, because one of the, you said one thing, which is that, well, most of the influencers you're looking for are going to be on these alternate platforms. Almost everyone I know who's been banned from Twitter is not on Getter. And that's a disappointment. I, I, they're playing it safe, and I get that. But the important thing, I think, though, remember what my point was, is you stay on Twitter. And you stay yeah, on YouTube absolutely. because you do need to get to stay in the main conversation mm -hmm. and have put that pressure, however much they throttle it, however much they, you know, shadow ban, whatever it may be, until they drag you off kicking and screaming. Yeah. You've got to be heard because sometimes something's going to leak over to the other side and you're going to have an effect. We have what other choice do we have? Just going into echo chambers, you're right, they don't have to be echo chambers, but right now that's mostly what they look like. Do you ever find yourself in situations where you really get to speak anymore to people who really don't see it your way? I mean, you started out, you know, ha having this experience with, you know, uh, Al Sharpton. <laughs> Are you mostly now just surrounded by adoring white conservatives who, you know, you're going to be our black Obama, you know, you ever get that feeling? <laughs> 
uh, I, I don't necessarily get that feeling, but I guess it's just because you I'm so, I, I, I hope not. We, we trust you and you seem like you're for real. <laughs> Yeah, I, I try my best to, I, I'm so focused on just pushing content out there and reminding people that there is still hope in this nation. I think at this point, they don't even, like, I don't get stuff from the other side because they're, they're too busy laughing it up and enjoying what they've got right now. I'm busy providing hope to my followers and providing hope to our side because there are so many of us who are like on the edge of ready to give up because they're seeing the government encroach on every single, and when I say every single, I mean every single right they have that they're scared. And I'm scared too. But I'm putting my fear aside, my fear for the future aside, and trying to promote hope, trying to promote to my people that, you know, there is still something that we can stand for. I'm going to be here to fight for a long time. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep it up. What do you mean when you say you're scared? You're not, are uh, you I'm, viscerally scared or you mean intellectually you have, you're, you're concerned and you're worried? You can, you can, if you really tell me that, sometimes I really, I, I, I'm I think really it's scared. both. I think uh -huh. it's both. And there's some there's very few things that make me viscerally scared. Um, but there are there are a couple and mostly with the Biden administration with these job vaccine mandates. I worry for my parents. About rats. Do rats make you scared? If no, you I think rats actually... are actually quite cute. I, I like them. I like you them. like them in the laboratory. But you ever seen a rat in the subway? Uh, I, I don't I haven't taken a subway before. But uh, OK, well, I, maybe, well I, that's a good way to live a, a relatively fear free life. OK. <laughs> um, but yeah, just thinking about the future. Um, that some things about the Biden administration, what they're doing, the precedents they're setting, that's a really important thing uh, with just executive uh, action. It's scary. Yes. yes. Well, that is that is scary. And I do think that we use the word scary in a sort of politically rhetorical way these days. Yeah. Tell me, I want to actually, I've got two questions left for you. First of all, <laughs> when you first started out, and again, you were, I think this was shortly after you had this, this epiphany when you realized what was going on around you. You said, I, you're just, you know, one of the things I say is that I, I don't hate liberals. I just think they're mentally challenged. Yeah. Do you really think they're mentally challenged? Uh, I think in a lot of ways they are, th th they are, honestly, especially with the things they stand for and the straight up double standards. Now, some of them, some of them it's mental challenge. Some of them it's just straight up, you know, they're just, they, they have a malintent for this nation. One great example I want to point to right now is the fact that the Biden administration is suing Texas for their law against abortion. Meanwhile, at the same time, they are requiring that at all jobs you go to, or not all, but like 100 million or so employers uh, or people in America have to go through this vaccine mandate. So it's my body, my choice when it comes to killing a child, but it is not my body, my choice when it comes to getting the vaccine to go to work. That's one way I can point to that is just directly. And I know a lot of the people who are involved in making that choice, they were just malintent. But a lot of the people who are supporting that choice in the lower end ranks that are uh, people that just bow to the mob and bow to, or not even bow to the mob, but are the mob, they are the ones that are mentally challenged. Especially when we look at the Antifa types and all them, definitely. So are you familiar with the, with the concept of, um, of cognitive dissonance? Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with that. That's what I think is the mental challenge that you're really talking about, because yeah. all things being equal, it's a pretty good bet that the IQ difference between Democrats and Republicans <laughs> is quite close, quite close. But the capacity for cognitive dissonance, I think, uh, among liberals is phenomenal. And we all do it and we all have it. And we all sometimes stick to positions that if we would really rationally add them up, we would recognize don't really add up. But sometimes, you know, we've got reasons either protecting our own feelings or protecting the feelings of others, any kind of rationalization. But I do think that Democrats and liberals have bought into a, a, a an idea that the, the end justifies the means and that power 
The idea is to obtain power and keep it because they're better people. They know better what to do with it. It just so happens that they're also going to enrich themselves massively by wielding this power. But that's a side point. There's enough money for everyone. I don't think, so I just, so I just wanted you to think about the idea of, I've written a few times about this idea not to underestimate your enemy. And one of the aspects of not under, and by enemy, I don't mean other Americans are our enemies, but our political rivals. Don't underestimate the intelligence of the people that we are fighting against. Many of them are terribly, terribly brilliant in an evil, wicked way. George Soros is no dummy. Oh, gosh, no. Um, Biden you know, is. Biden is, 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 no one has ever mistaken him for a particularly intelligent person. <laughs> and um, that just goes to show you where we are. That last question now, I'm looking back at the note, I better used it, mentally challenged, I can't use that again. <laughs> you had said that you had a plan. Yes. As much as you feel comfortable telling us about it, what's, what's the plan? For you, so the most, for the most like, the, the plan for the future? Yeah. If you've uh, got a plan for the past, that would even be more impressive. I do have a plan for the <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> my, plan, my plan for the future is really just to stick with it. And I, I, I've really kind of grown into my position of being somebody who provides hope. I, I don't care about, you know, well, I, I don't care necessarily about running for office. If people want me to and people believe that is the best way to achieve my goal, which is to save America, save the future, save the West. Um, then I will do that. But I think right now what I just want to do is uh, bring hope back to America. And we have the great uniter in chief Biden who seems to be draining hope daily, um, but we still have people on our side uh, that can bring that hope back. And I, I want to be one of those people that does that. And so just traveling across the nation, speaking, performing music, I want to show people that this is a movement that isn't, you know, it isn't just on social media. I'm in person, I'm there. Um, one of the songs I wrote, uh, for this album is called You Have Me. And it's talking about how uh, due to the lockdowns, teens are you know, on the brink of suicide. It tells of the story of one teen who, was, who committed suicide because this lockdown, the isolation, it killed him. I want to be sure that I can forbid that in the future. I want to save people who feel like they have no hope left because of these lockdowns or because of what the administration is doing or because of where, the, where our world stands. I want to save lives. I want to save hope and I, I want to save America. And so, you know, it's a very blanket statement to say that, but you could just look at what I do. I do my live shows, Tuesdays, Thursdays, eight. I am releasing music constantly. I'm working really hard to get out there on the field and be at events, perform, speak, just be everywhere I can. And I think if, if I keep this up, we'll at least have an effect uh, in this nation. Well, I think that's right. And I hope that you do that. But, and we can discuss this another time. We can discuss it in person uh, when you're a drinking age someday. <laughs> <laughs> we can have a drink uh, to discuss it. But inevitably, you don't come onto the podcast for me to tell you things. But I'm so old and you're so young that I'm just gonna, you can't stop it. Inevitably, no, I, I want it. I want it. That's how that's how you get there yourself is by hearing. You're, thank you. You're going to go through. You're still you, you're a remarkably precocious young man. You you read a lot, right? You read a lot. Yes. Yes. Your English, <laughs> your spoken English is perfect. When you make a mistake, you correct it so that you are able to think on two tracks, your the mouth track and the brain track. That's really good. You, I mean, you're really excellent verbal skills and people read a lot, write well and speak well, good for you. But you're gonna go through a lot of changes as you go from adolescence into adulthood. And then, you know, I'm not remotely the person I was when, when I was 25, much less when I was 17. 
So I hope you give a lot of thought about how you're going to ripen as your life ripens and your mind and body ripen, how that's going to change the nature of your mission. Because Absolutely. I, I, I think it, that as exciting and fun as it is to get all these people who are so interested in what you have to say, you're going to get tired of it. You're going to want, and, and you look around you, there's so many great examples who've created so many really extraordinary, you know, platforms and, you know, movements. I'm sure it's going to, I'm sure it's going to come your way. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, to see as much of it as I possibly can, what, what you know, and, the, and to stay in touch with you and hopefully have you on again. Definitely. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll, maybe you'll have me on your show too, even though you're not going to make any money from it. <laughs> No, I, I don't really stress about that. And you're right. No, I have, clearly not. I have, I, you're, yeah. you're being a pretty damn good sport about that, about being demonetized. But you're, but you're switching to Rumble now, right? So that's so they're monetizing you. Yeah, uh, a, a little bit. We're still the working on that. Live stream is still on YouTube. Yeah, live stream is still on YouTube. Yeah. And we, we have some really, really, really great people that donate to support during the streams, which is, and I, I tell them on the stream, that's the only way I can really keep these streams going is by people supporting us on the stream. And so I'm really happy about that. But I, I really like what you said about the whole ripen thing, because I, I've seen myself grow like um, this, this Tuesday on my live show, I'm actually going to be watching some of my old videos with my people and just kind of showing my growth. But I know when I watch it, I'm going to be like, dang, uh, I've seen, you know, my video editing and recording skills have grown. Um, but I'm also just kind of seeing the subtle differences in the way I talk. I, I feel a lot more connected to the information I'm giving. I feel a lot more confident in what I'm saying. But I also feel like today, what I'm saying has a lot more impact and meaning and weight behind it than what I was saying before. Because I was just talking about, oh, you know, uh, this girl said something about, uh, against um, Ben Carson. Do you know what an REO is? That's a random story. But that was like a long time ago. Um, but I, I'm seeing now that the stories I'm talking about have so much more weight and I, I know the meaning and I know what I want to accomplish by saying them. And so I guess. Oh, you're learning, art, obviously. You're yeah. learning and you've got a more mature mind and you're, and you're, you're being surrounded by a, you know, a lot of really thoughtful people, obviously. It's funny what you say about watching recordings of yourself only a few years ago, just as kind of a, a for a little bit of fun, I, I recently reposted on social network, on social, uh, on, on social, a grainy old webcam video from 2008 that I posted <laughs> to Facebook, clean shaven and 30 pounds thinner and a little bit of hair up here. And it was black and talking about Rosh Hashanah. And I, I was astonished at how much I sound like myself then. But last night I was reading about Churchill and everyone, not everyone, maybe you haven't had a chance to listen to it. Take a time to, to listen to his, his, uh, his famous speech to Parliament, blood, sweat, toil, and tears. He has a much higher voice, first of all. Two guys who have higher voices than I thought when I met him. I saw Cernovich. <laughs> yes. Cerno has a squeaky little voice. <laughs> and, and also uh, Schlechter. Both these guys make me sound like a basso profundo. But <laughs> Churchill also had a somewhat, you know, of a tenor voice. So the famous speeches that he gave in the 1940s during World War II are familiar to people my age and older. But there was also, I didn't realize until last night, and then I, by the miracle of this, all those technology companies that we hate so much, I went onto YouTube and found this 1909 recording that he did when he was a young member of parliament promoting a progressive tax increase um, in the UK. And he was very, he was, he was considered to be a social Democrat. And yeah. And his voice was that much 
higher and his pronunciation apparently changed a lot. And this is one of the most famous speakers in the world. And like you, he paid a lot of attention from the very early age of how he presented himself. He analyzed his work. Um, so, you know, you, you sound like you're getting good advice. And frankly, if you don't ever get that high school degree, who the hell cares? I mean, is there anything in the United States less meaningful than a high school degree? <laughs> I mean, when my, when people in my parents' generation graduated high school, they were by far better educated than a, than a college graduate today, except in science or engineering. But again, that was back when I was walking to school in both directions, uphill in three feet of snow. Chandler, so <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me to share some time with you and getting to know you better. I, I think one of the nice things that happens after these conversations is that people who I've been mutual followers with, we start paying more attention to each other's content and Definitely. it has more meaning to us. And I hope that that will continue with both of us. Continued good fortune and good stuff and keep us uh, in the loop. Okay. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.